Hi, welcome to For the Culture Canada. I'm your host, Deepak Body, and today I have somebody that I'm very excited to actually have on the show. I know I say this pretty much every single time, but <laughs> I have somebody that uh, I've been I've known for a few years now. We've actually tried to link up for the podcast a couple of years ago, but you know, circumstances made it not happen. That's all right, though. We are linking up today. I am talking to Chris, one of the owners of Nice Climbing Gym. And I'm so excited to have him because uh, I know we've had Flip Club on before, but this is the first time that I get to uh, talk to somebody that's in that field. And to me, that's really interesting based on uh, just my own personal life and everything. And I know so many people, um, in my sort of uh, crowd of people love going to this gym. And so to be able to uh, kind of figure this out, see where it came from and uh, all that, I'm really excited to dive into. So, hey, man, thanks for being a part of the show, Chris. You know, realistically, sometimes when you're a small business owner, like finding time for the extras is really tough. So now in the pandemic world, there's time for the extras. So I'm just like to, to be doing this. You know, that's exactly why I reached out. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, I mean, if it, man, small business owners, you guys are very, very busy and yeah. uh, pandemic is the perfect time to reach out <laughs> and see what's yeah. going on. So yeah, man. The pandemic party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I wanted to kind of first get into a little bit of your history. I know we were getting into that a little bit before the podcast started, but uh, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to kind of figure out uh, where are you from, man? Uh, and uh, how did you get into kind of this whole fitness world of yours? Uh, born in Calgary, um, uh, born to like parents that were super, super active. Uh, my dad was a, a big time rock climber. Um, he was, he was born in Europe. Uh, he was like a trained as a Swiss mountain guide. So, um, unfortunately he, he passed away when I was younger, but, uh, a lot of his homies, uh, took me under their wing and, and taught me a lot about, took me out climbing and taught me what it was all about. Um, so I was exposed to that, that sport and, and everything about it from a young age. And, and, um, you know, probably in my late, uh, teens, I, I really started focusing on climbing, uh, cause I did a ton of sports, other sports when I was younger, but, um, but yeah, so Calgary grew up, grew up, uh, ended up going to university in Saskatoon, uh, which is a long way from the mountains, but right, uh, right. bizarrely Saskatoon has these really cool cultural niches, uh, both music, uh, art, and for some reason they have this really sick climbing scene. Um, and, uh, that kind of even blew that, that passion up even bigger for me and uh, was the sort of foundation for me wanting to start my own gym. Oh, gotcha. So um, was it the uh, through line with your dad that kind of made you so passionate exclusively about climbing versus all the other sports? I think, uh, I don't think necessarily that was the case. I think it was more organic than that. Mm. Like, I was exposed to a ton of sports as a kid. Climbing was one of them. I right. loved them all. Right. Um, and I had certain periods of my life where it was like all soccer or all this or all that. Um, and then as I got older, it was just maybe more organic that, that I really found true passion with climbing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be, yeah. Regardless of the background, you know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and um, what did you go to school for? I'm a geologist, so that's also sort of connected to climbing and, and was part of the decision to, uh, to study in the field of geology because I, I, I kind of had this idea that geologists would get to go up mountains and, 
and check out rocks and, and have sort of that adventure exploration lifestyle um, and do that for work, which, you know, at the end of the day, wasn't exactly what, you know, my career as a geologist was. Ah. Uh, so that was, that was cool. And, and, and I, I was in, and I'm still interested in geology. Um, the work side of it was really fun, but definitely wasn't my passion, you know? Um, but it put food on the table and, and all that stuff supported my family. Uh, but always in the background was, was trying to plan this, this climbing gym that I wanted to have. And, and now, uh, believe it or not, I actually have two of them. Oh, and, okay. um, and so that's why I've been able to walk away from geology. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm a retired geologist, now a climbing gym owner operator. Oh, gotcha. And, uh, what exactly did you do with geology? So, um, when I graduated university, the, the easiest way I could find a job was in the oil and gas industry. Okay. Um, so, uh, I was an exploration geologist, uh, from about, you know, 22 years old to about, you know, right now I'm 40. So I, uh, I've sort of backed off geology work two years ago now. So mm. at 38. Um, and always in the oil and gas field, always in exploration. So exploration, our job is to like find oil for, for you. If you're an oil company, you hire me and some other dudes and we make some maps and say, okay, maybe there's oil here. You go look at it. And, you know, some of that time was really exciting. I got to work in, in Russia for a couple of years. I got to work in Colombia for a couple of years. So I got to see some really cool things. Um, but it was never the climbing up the side of a mountain kind of adventure stuff that that I thought it was going to be going to university it was a lot more like you know get the software do some maps get some data points and then like make powerpoints or make maps or you know sell ideas to people right right and it wasn't like the cartoons though where you like hit a pitchfork in the ground and then like oil shoots out or anything was it <laughs> no, that'd be cool though <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So while that was all going on, were you still exercising your uh, bouldering and rock climbing as well? Yeah, man. Heavy, heavy into it. Uh, like I was working full time here, like in Kelowna with, with the family, but I was uh, one of the first people to help develop some of the outdoor bouldering spots here, like the boulder fields, which is like pretty well known in Canada bouldering destination now there's over a thousand boulders there and it's a super sick place and people come from all over the world to check it out um and I would have been one of the first sort of uh people to help get that developed uh that would be myself and uh, a guy named Mike Shannon really kind of spearheaded the bouldering the start of the bouldering development there and then since then it's kind of been taken over by some other people and, and really kind of were able in numbers to flourish from where we started um, and, and to be what it is now, which has got a sick guidebook now and it's on internet and, you know, it gets into magazines and stuff like that. So it's really cool to have been part of that. Oh, gotcha. Cool, man. And uh, for the listeners that don't know, what is the difference between rock climbing and bouldering? Sure. Um, rock climbing, there's, there's three types, I would say, or maybe more of, of climbing where you've got like mountaineering, which is like, yo, I'm going to go climb Everest. You've got sport climbing, which is like a rope. Uh, you've got quick draws and the, the sort of like bolts, like the, the safety hangers are kind of already bolted into the rock and you kind of clip your way up as you go up. That's called sport climbing. 
There's trad climbing where you're kind of placing those, those bolts aren't there. So you're placing your own gear as you go up. So I don't know if you saw any like, uh, you know, footage from Yosemite or whatever, they go up the cracks and they put these things called cams in the cracks and those things expand inside the cracks and you can use those as safety uh, to attach your rope to. And then bouldering is, for me, it's like just the purest side of the sport where it's just about movement. There's no, it's not like a fear or danger or, or it doesn't have that same sort of like exposure. It's all about like the, the absolute purity. Can you do the move or not? Or can you do the three moves or not? So it's like really intense, difficult movement, low to the ground, supported by these like crash pads. So we walk around with these big mats and uh, you put them underneath the boulders, uh, guessing where you might land, where you might fall. And then you have your homies with you that kind of spot you. So if you fall, they kind of try to direct you onto the mat. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And, and I, so that's the difference. Yeah. Right. I was always wondering what would happen while bouldering, right? If you were in a yeah. slip or something, right? But that's cool to know that you carry these mats yeah. with you. Falling is like mega part of bouldering. Like uh, because it's all about the absolute hardest thing you can do, the craziest move you can do, you will often like, I mean, I've spent months trying the same move. Okay. You know, falling, you know, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times trying to do this thing and you need something to fall on. So we got these cool little crash pads. Some of them fold into tacos. Some of them are trifold. So that they'll try it like into like three parts and right. they have little straps and they're, they're pretty big. You walk around with them and I look like a gomer, but, mm. but they do the job. Cool, man. That's awesome. So, uh, did you go to school or training for business of any sort at all before you started the gym? Um, I was like in the geology side of it, I'd gotten into management roles. Uh, so I had like manage, I was operating teams and stuff like that. So, um, so I used that management and also some of the fiscal side of it, because there's a little bit of like fiscal planning involved with the, the management of these projects through geology. So I did have a really, I feel, I mean, that could be, that could be argued, but I feel like I had a good background, um, and a pretty high level background making decisions on considerable value projects whether it's a go or it's not a go um so i use some of that experience to to help me form teams and and to to start the business that is nice climbing oh gotcha gotcha and uh was the idea of creating that gym just always in the back of your mind when you were a geologist yeah for sure for sure for sure 100 percent. like when actually uh, we moved to Cologne about 12 years ago from calgary and uh, it was actually like right away, I wanted to start that gym from the day I moved here. Um, I didn't do it right away. That just wasn't the way the chips fell, but, but it was 100% part of that goal. And just looking for the right opportunity, finding the right time, finding the money, like all that stuff is huge, right? Sure. How did you know that it was the right time to open it? Um, there's a lot of things that, that sort of played into me opening Nice Climbing. One of them was the the company that I was working for, which was a small exploration company focused on Columbia, um, we, we sold to a bigger player. And mm. so because I had shares in that company, um, when I sold, when we sold as the company sold, uh, I got to realize a, a pretty serious like monetary windfall. Mm. And I, I used that, that money to, to invest in, I used that money and more to start add more borrowed money, um, to start nice climbing. Oh, gotcha. Cool. 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 And, uh, what does nice mean? 
So yeah, nice is a homonym. So um, it obviously is nice. So it, <laughs> use the word nice, but nice is spelled G-N-E-I-S-S, which is, which is a rock type. So it's a rock type. It's a metamorphic rock type. So of the three rock types when you were in school, there was sedimentary, igneous, and metamorphic. So it's a metamorphic rock, metamorphic rock type, and it is the, the rock we climb on in the Okanagan. So Skaha, the boulder fields, uh, Kalo, all the local sick crags we have, besides Bushri, Bushri's a little different, but, uh, but all the other local crags are, are basically nice. So it was like, just made really perfect answer. Oh, I like that. I like how it ties yeah. in everything, man. That's, that's yeah, very cool. It's, it's sort of very organic to who I am as a geologist, uh, the, the absolute relocation of where we are, where we climb. Yeah. So for me, it was like a perfect fit. Um, it's just, sometimes it's annoying because people can't spell it. People don't know what it is. You're like, yo, we're at nice climbing and they're trying to look up on the internet NICE climbing, you know, and right, right. there, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool though. I, I get it. And, and you were the one obviously to come up with that name. Yeah, man, for sure. Dope. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. What was the official opening day of uh, the gym? Four years ago, last week, so May, uh, April, no. What, what month are we in here? We're in April. <laughs> We're in April, yes. April 16th of 2016. Wow. Congratulations, man. Four yeah, years. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Yeah. You must, be, you must be very proud of where you guys are at now, hey? Super proud. Super duper proud and couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier with the community, the people that come there, the family that's kind of grown out of it. Um, you know, getting to do opportunities like talking to you. Um, it's just opened so many doors, connecting with other small businesses, connecting with other businesses in Kelowna or, or other gyms across the country. Like it's just been, it's been phenomenal, man. It's been like such a good ride. Yeah, and definitely. Up, up till the pandemic, you know, but. <laughs> right, right. We'll get into the pandemic in a little bit here. Um, uh, what was, I wanted to ask you actually, what was the first couple of days like or little periods of time like when you opened up that gym? What was it like for you? It was mega stressful, man. Like crazy stressful. Like I'm not an emotional guy whatsoever. 100% like you talk to my family, I'm cold as ice, man. Right, okay. And, uh, and I, uh, it wasn't like I was just so overwhelmed uh, that, that I, I almost had a hard time handling it emotionally. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was a culmination of insane amount of like work and lifetime goals and like all that stuff. And risk, man, like mega risk. When you start a new business like that, any any entrepreneurs that you talk to, when you throw your whole life at something, you put your house on the line, you put your job on the line, um, it's it's just you feel so exposed. And you're like kind of just hoping it works. You're crossing your fingers. You're like, I believe in this and, and I'm all in, all in 100%. Um, but there's also moments where it's like really scary and really emotional. So those first few days were like, so emotional because there was like a positivity where it's like we had this grand opening event and it was fire like everyone came and it was lit and uh and we were making money and signing up memberships and and then um you know you you get into like the day-to-day -day, two to three days after and some of that hype is like okay you know there's other shit in people's lives they're not all there all the time and you, you're like oh man like it's going to take a while to build this to be a real thing when 
when you've got, you know, in the hole, you know, let's say three days later, you know, you've had a whole day where only 30 people came to your gym. Right. So yes. it was, uh, it was super emotional, um, and, and super happy and super scary. And, um, and like, I'll, I'll like forever to this day have certain moments of that time burned into my brain as like, this was surreal. Yeah. I'm sure it must, you must look at the gym sometimes and just kind of go like, I can't believe what it took to get here. I'm sure you have those moments sometimes, eh? I have, I totally have those moments. And it's funny that have like being in this pandemic has really brought some of those moments back because before we opened and in that first year, it was very much like my gym. I did all the work, you know, I built the place and did all the stuff. And it was like very much me, but over the years, it's really become the community. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I, sometimes I, I walk in there and I, like, I don't know everybody. They all know each other sometimes, you know, and I kind of having to fit in or whatever. Like it's very much the community's space and I'm super proud of that. But then like when the pandemic hit and they all went away, it sort of became my place again. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So it was like this weird like transition from like, like building it up as my thing and giving it to the community and letting the community really help it grow. And, and me just like peppering in what needs to be peppered. Um, and then, and then when it all stopped, it, it came back to being like my spot again. So it was like cool and kind of emotional because it felt like that before we opened, it felt like my joint, like legit, <clears throat> this was my little second home. And I put all my creative juices into it and everything. And then as it grew and became like the staff and, and all the people involved, really, it was their creative juices that were really, you know, letting it flourish. So, and now it's like back to my little spot again, where I can go and hang out and clean stuff and fix stuff and right. do all the things, you know? Right. It's your little baby. Yeah. It goes back to being my little baby. It yeah. was like a junior, <laughs> it was like a junior high schooler for, for a couple of years there. And now it's just like an infinite. Again, you know, <laughs> I gotta nurture. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, and, uh, what do you think? I mean, I know you're mentioning the community, but, um, was that the main thing that really propelled its success at the beginning or were there other things that helped it along as well? I think for sure, like community in this town, um, and word of mouth and all that stuff is the way to do business here. It's, it's like all about, it's all about people and it's all about like connections and, and, uh, getting, getting, getting to know different people. And like certain companies were really helpful in getting me there. Like Lululemon, you know, they I mean, they're a huge company, but on the local scene, they're like, they're your friends. They're, they're people that, that, that really try to help you out. And they were, they were amazing. Um, and other companies as well were, were reached out and, and really tried to help help move that thing along and get get the name and the idea in front of new people because like for nice climbing to be successful in a commercial sense it needed to be beyond the climbers that existed it needed to create new climbers and introduce new people to the sport and I knew once you had them once you got them through the door like climbing is just so fun and it's hard for for anyone to be like, this is not a good time. And then if they learn a skill and they can go take that outside, you know, let's say you learn how to climb a bit in the gym and you can go outside in the summer and really have an adventure and, and really, you know, bring something new to your life that you can be super proud of. Like that's huge. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. So definitely the community side of, of other businesses, uh, other climbers, uh, just 
people that I knew in town from other sports or whatever really helped get the name out to, um, you know, people like you, like, how did, how did you find out about nice climbing? Oh man. Uh, it was my girlfriend and I have been dating for about two and a half years now. And the mm-hmm. second ever date we had was at nice climbing gym. No <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was that at your so gym. <laughs> I know That's it was, so gr- cool. it was a great time. Yeah. Uh, we were basically like, um, you know, early, early stages of dating. You're just like, Oh, what do you want to do? And she's like, um, Hey, you want to go to this climbing gym? And I'm like, yeah, I've never climbed before, but let's go for it. And then, you know, when you're, when you're with a girl too, you want to like impress her, be like, yeah, I could, I could do this. I could climb. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both like enjoyed our, our, we really both enjoyed ourselves. It was a good time. Um, yeah, it was awesome, man. It was, it was so much fun. That's, that's amazing. That's so cool here. What, what, uh, what do you think, you know, the, the sort of process of the steps or the connections led your girlfriend to suggest that to you as the place to go i'm always curious about how people you know get to 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 know about it or or to have an idea that they want to try it oh that's a very good question well i knew that um let me see here i knew that she had other people in her circle that have gone to that gym i know she's she's brought like friends to go there i um and I think that might be just like a spot that she, yeah, I think that's just a spot that she has um, gone with, with friends. I remember her telling me that uh, her and her friend at work, those two connected through climbing and fitness. And so that's how she got introduced to it. And I got introduced to her. Oh, so, gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was awesome. It's always cool to hear those stories. And um, yeah, I think that's amazing. I think it's, so cool that you guys had one of your first dates there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, I will tell you, man, like those first couple of dates are like special, you know, so like to have nice always associated with that. And what I really like about nice too, is that, um, Kelowna, I've been here my entire life. I was born and raised here. And yeah. this is just one of those things that just kind of makes me go, Oh, Kelowna is doing something cool and new now because this would typically be reserved for like a bigger city kind of thing, but it's here, which makes so much sense given the geology of the place and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, and, and how fit a lot of the people here are, it just makes a lot of sense. And so when I see people doing like a V nine or a V 10 in that place, and I'm just like observing, I'm just like, Whoa, what do I do to get there? That's crazy. I know. And it is crazy. Like climbing is such a insanely crazy sport where you need such specific strength. And the only way to basically get there is through climbing. You know, you can't go ride a bike, get super fit and, and kill it at climbing. You got to climb to get good at climbing. There's no other way about it. You know? Exactly, exactly. And uh, just to clarify to the listeners, um, the different difficulties is uh, represented through V's. So it's like V1 to V10. Is that right? So yeah, the V scale is, um, is the bouldering scale in North America. So you go to Europe, you go to France, they have a bouldering scale that's completely different. They've got the Fontainebleau bouldering scale, which is a different grade system. Here in the US, the, the V scale, it actually goes up to V, I believe we're at V17 now in wow. the real world, which is like mega insane. Um, you know, when I was young in the sport, V10 was like, the amount of people in Canada that could climb V10 wasn't very huge. Like maybe there was 50 people that could do it. The amount of people now in Canada that can climb V10 outside is enormous in the thousands. So it's really like come a long way. 
Um, and then obviously the people that can climb at that super high level V14 plus, that's still a very elite group. And there's, you know, you know, maybe a couple dozen of people in Canada that can do that. Um, but, uh, the, the rope climbing thing has a different scale and that's the, the Yosemite decimal scale. So, so when you talk about the V scale specifically relates to bouldering, you talk about the Yosemite decimal system. That's, uh, that's, uh, the, the grading system used for sport climbing. And so that's like, you would call like typically in rope climbing and say you go to Skaha or whatever, you'd be climbing, you know, 511 or 512, which kind of equates, you know, rough. You can equate that to a bouldering scale, although it's a little bit different. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. a little, little bit of like climbing knowledge for you. <laughs> no, that's Getting cool, drunk. man. That's cool. That's why we got you on here. <laughs> uh, have you explored, uh, how much experience do you have with like other types of climbing, by the way, I meant to ask? I've done them all. There's not a single type of climbing that I haven't tried, like mountaineering, trad climbing, uh, sport climbing. Obviously, when I was younger, I did a lot of sport climbing. Um, actually, my wife and I, our first road trip date when we were going to university in Saskatoon, we drove out to Skaha as our first road trip date. Um, oh, cool! And and Skaha is sport climbing, so okay. there's not a lot of bouldering in Skaha. So we we were sport climbing, and so I definitely came from sport climbing. But but as uh, as I got into climbing, I found like the purity of bouldering and just the purity of movement, and and also the social side of bouldering. It was really really fun because you can have a crew of homies that you're all trying trying the same thing. You're all there. You're spotting each other, and there's a lot of like energy and good vibes, and like you know, sort of like, um, you can spend a long time doing it. Whereas I find a little bit with rope climbing, it's like you and a partner, you have a try and then, and then you're up there for like 20 minutes and then, and then you're kind of like, there's, there's elements of it that I don't think are as fun as bouldering. You right. Know I mean? Right. Because you have to constantly wait for the next person to get to the next spot, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And you're worried a little bit about ropes and then, and then you're kind of, you got to look up all the time, make sure they're safe. And then you, you get them down, you got to untie and then it's my turn. And then I'm on the wall for 20 minutes where bouldering, it's like, you know, you have a burn. Sometimes that's 30 seconds. You're off the wall and you're back to chatting and resting. You know, sometimes you rest five, 10 minutes till your next burn. And you just like, you know, bantering with the homies, you know, it's yeah. so fun. You know, it's very, very like casual, even though you're trying super hard stuff, you're like, the what my approach is always just like really light and fun and, and hanging with friends, you know? Yeah, sure. And that's, uh, you know, I do pick that vibe up from the, from the gym as well. You know, every time I go in there, there's always just like a circle of people always just like really light, really fun, calm. Yeah. yeah and even though people try super hard, you, like, it's not like you're sitting there waiting for your next burn. Like, like maybe some people do, but not a lot of people at nice climbing. And I think I've fostered that like, are too serious about it. It's like indoor climbing, let's have a good time. Let's not, we're not sitting here re rehearsing the, the moves and doing all sorts of psycho, you know, mental preparation for it. You're just like trying hard, having fun. And, and if you don't do it, it doesn't really matter because it's kind of coming down in a couple of weeks anyway, right? Because we're yeah. going to change it up and get a new route going. So, right, yeah. right. You change it up every few weeks then, hey? So, the way we do it at NICE typically is we set a section of walls every week. So, uh, and so it's on a rotation. So, in general, the whole gym is turned around. So, the whole gym is new within a month, a month and a week. So, four, wow. to, five, four to five weeks, the whole gym is brand new. How do you decide on what the next layout is going to be? 
like as far as like what are our sort of like visions for the movement and roots yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah exactly i get this question a lot and it's hilarious <laughs> because i always get questioned what sort of uh, i got asked this all the time like legit asks what sort of program i use to to build the roots and it's like the program I use is like in my brain, you know, we just like, we, we obviously were influenced by, you know, the things we do with people around us or, or, you know, our whatever Instagram we follow or, or whoever, whatever influences us. We obviously get ideas from that sort of stuff. So, so I'll usually come to a setting day with a few ideas. I have small crews. So, you know, I've got four or five other dudes or, or females that set with me. We like to have a mixture of both. So we get different styles. Um, and uh, so I'll show up and, and each of us are going to set a few boulders and we should show up with some ideas of what we want to do on a wall. Um, and so we actually create uh, a list that sort of says we need X amount of, you know, V zeros, X amount of V twos, X amount of V, but what we don't have in this list, what those things need to look like, mm. but we do have a requirement that, Hey, we need something for everybody. We need, we need different styles. We need a mix of movement. So, because not everything can be a jump. Not everything should be, you know, flexy. Not everything should be, you know, so just get a wide variety. And so we come with ideas and we try to get those ideas in the way we had them onto the wall. Mm. Um, if you show up unprepared, sometimes it can be, you know, sometimes I'll have a few setters or even myself shows up unprepared without ideas. It can be slow. It can be a slow day because you need creative juices. You need inspiration. You need ideas. Um, and then sometimes your ideas don't work out the way you want them to be. And they're amazing. And sometimes the ideas that you have don't work out and they're absolute garbage and you just got to like take them off the wall. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get your inspiration from like other gyms, YouTube or other things like uh, that? Definitely outdoor climbing. So mm. reference movement that I've tried outside for sure. Outdoor climbing is a huge one. And then, you know, watching competition climbing on on uh, the World Cup. So World Cup bouldering. So you see all these crazy moves and all the best climbers in the world like paddling through like it's just insane the stuff they can do and so you know obviously we can't set that you know extreme but we can take ideas that that we saw and try to make them happen in our gym oh, it's sure. also important not to be overly you know overly doing what someone else does I, I really want the experience at nice climbing to be unique to to us and so i think there's there's uh you know there's um, an element of climbing and i think in all sports now we're like so much of your influence is the same. Do you know what I mean? Like y'all, let's say you're into skateboarding where well, y'all follow the same skate pro skateboarders. So all the kids are like trying to do the same move from whatever skateboarder, whatever surfer, or like whatever it is. And I think some of that is a little bit, it hurts the creativity of the sport when coming up with new movements or new ideas. So I do like to try to tell my people like, yo, let's just not do what what you saw on Instagram. Let's, let's try to make our own version of it. You know, I like that a lot. I like that a lot, a lot, just because, uh, you're right. A lot of people start to get stuck into the, Oh, I'm going to try to chase, say what uh, Tony Hawk did or whoever this next person is, you know? And, uh, and you're right. It can be limiting in a lot of different ways. So to try something new and refreshing, that could be great for somebody that's out of town coming to check your gym out and is like, Oh, I've never seen this before. Totally. Um, I got a, I got a kind of a, a background story about that, that I like to use. And, and I use this when I try to explain it to my setters or other people involved with the gym It's like, there was a point in time where you could kind of like in the surfing world, you could kind of see where someone surfed by their style because different sort of cultures, like let's say you were from, 
you know, a certain part of Australia, you, you had a certain style and you were from a certain part of California, you had a certain style, like both in how you dress and your, the way you surf and the moves you were doing and, and how you roll. Um, and that was really cool. And that was a really special thing because you could, you could have these like micro cultures that, that just created these really cool things inside there. And they were influencing, you know, uh, this little small niche thing. And you had, then you could see surfers from all these different things creating their own different vibe. Now I feel like a little bit like everyone surfs the same, everyone skates the same. And I can't tell if you're from Santa Cruz or you're from, you know, uh, South Africa or you're from, you know, Australia, you all dress the same, you surf the same. And I think there's a little bit of like thing, like with that such globalization, there's some of the creative side of it that's, that I think is hurting from that. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're at that point, you kind of have to, you're kind of forced to then look into other places aside from your medium of choice. Say for example, if you're into surfing, you may want to look into say like, I don't know, uh, rock music. If you're, if you wanted to like change up your style in some sort of way. Right. Or like totally just like left field type thing to change it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. and I think that's important 100%. for, I think that's important for all kind of markets, all mature kind of markets or even any kind of markets in general. Right. I, I think it's, it's so important and it's so hard to do now is like how to be unique and how to have your experience be good, but different, you know what I mean? Cause it can be different and shit, you know, yeah. how, how can you, how can you be good and, and competitive to other markets, but unique? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what do you have any advice for anybody that may be listening that uh, may have a hard time finding their voice? That's a good question. I think, um, I think you got to look at your roots and look at where you come from. Um, what's true to you, um, and, and use those roots and be like, just honest with yourself and, and have the confidence to say like, these are my experiences in life. This is what brought me to where I am today. How can I be confident and express that uh, in a way that's like authentic and, and real to me? And I think in, if people a little bit follow that path, we're going to have so much more creative, good people influencing our businesses or our culture or whatever. It's like, take who you are and where you came from and, and be proud of that and, and do creative things from that instead of trying to be like, I don't know, whatever influencer you're following or, you know, exactly, exactly. And you know, that's clearly evident in nice, right. With your geology background and your sports, uh, influence when you were young to coming here, having all the rocks and everything, all the boulders and everything being nice. Uh, that's totally reflective in your business. And I think that makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, we definitely do things differently at our gym than other gyms. Like we, we have like, because I've always been on, like had a lot of people on the, the art side and the fashion side, we, we like to do art in our gym. And I like to have different artists uh, featured in my gym. Some are local, some are not, but, but it's definitely something that you're not going to see so much in other gyms. We have a bit of a fashion line that, that uh, you'd never see in other gyms. Like you get a gym that's like, you know, had a shirt and put their name on it or whatever, but we like legit make our own clothes. Um, yeah. And that's because I've got 
like homies in the fashion industry that, that work in Europe or whatever. And, and, you know, I've got some people that I can learn things from and, and I've tried to incorporate some of that into the experience at nice. And you definitely wouldn't get it. You're not going to get that in very many climbing gyms out there. I've noticed that, you know, I see all over your Instagram, just like people rocking your merch. I see it all yeah. over the place and it's really varied as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's and really it's, cool. It's, it's definitely not something that, that we buy and put our names on each of those pieces. They're, they're created by me, curated. I pick fabrics. I, I do cuts and, and, uh, we have different manufacturers that we work with. And so it's like, it's an authentic thing that we do and not always money-making, you know what I mean? Um, but it adds the experience to nice climbing. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that also like really struck me as unique was, um, after my girlfriend and I had (laughs) gone to your gym the first time I've gone there a few more times afterwards with my friends and things. And I noticed that you guys actually had that second level with an actual like bench press and like squat rack and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was that there from the beginning? I was there from the beginning, hundred percent. I always wanted to have a place where, uh, where you could, you know, grow as a climber and, and, uh, it could be your home, your one-stop shop where you didn't have to have a gym membership on top, even though it's not a big, a big space. It's got the stuff you need. It's got, it's got all the free weights. We focus on free weights and, and we've got squat racks and, and that sort of stuff, lots of dumbbells and barbells and stuff. So, um, it's a, it's a part of the business that, that I think has grown in, in its, um, I guess, subscription over time. A lot of people, when they, they were existing climbers, maybe from a different climbing gym or a different city, and they came to a climbing gym expecting what they had in their other gym. And they didn't necessarily use it yeah, because they were, it wasn't in their language. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so once they were here with me for a little while and noticed a few other people using it or me using it, they're like, oh, well, man, I should maybe try that out. And so now you definitely have people that come into the gym that almost spend more time in the weight room than climb. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's not a big space. (laughs) I actually had one of my friends tell me that he completely let go of all of his gym memberships and he's just going to get a membership at nice just because, yeah, you're right. He can get his gym fix there and also his climbing fix. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I get it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And the social side, which I think, uh, you know, one of the things I actually discourage strongly at nice is is earbuds. Um, I'll go around actually and be like, I see you in there with earbuds i sometimes will go out not all the time but sometimes i'll say like hey man like i generally use the safety thing like yo those aren't super safe in a climbing gym what if you know someone's yelling at you to move or whatever because they might land on you but the other side is it like if you're plugged in you're not talking to you know the girl beside you or or the other guy or helping out or someone trying to help you out you can't hear them and so it takes some of the the social side away, which I think is super important. And you don't get that in a, in a big box fitness gym. Everyone's plugged in, man. If you try to talk to someone in the fitness gym, they just look at you like you're on crack, man. Like that's just not accepted. You don't talk to people. You do not talk to girls. You don't talk to boys. You don't talk to anybody. You just do your thing. You do your work. You get the hell out of there. And nice climbing is a hundred percent. Not that we're a hundred percent trying to be like, talk to the guy beside you, maybe make a friend, um, maybe you guys will climb again some other time. And I think that would be super special. And I think we get that now. We totally have people that have become friends at the gym and are now super good friends. And that is awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what that, that's a really cool attitude to have at the gym, just because I have noticed, say, for example, if I can't make like a certain climb or whatever, I've had other people just come to me and be like, oh, that was really sick, man. Maybe try this. Maybe that could help you out. And that that is a really cool thing to have. At your it gym. is cool. It, it can be it can be not beneficial as well. Right. Um, yeah. But and so we, we work on that. But I think it is it at its core, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, so I, on to discuss this a little more, or dig deeper into it. It's like you got six foot tall Jim bro telling, you know, five foot two female climber how she should do the boulder when there's zero chance she's going to do the boulder like he's going to do the boulder. Like True. It's zero True. chance of that happening. And the roots at nice, we do really try to focus that all different shapes and sizes can do them. Yeah. And we specifically have people we call forerunners. So forerunners are people that we bring in or we have in our crew that will, that are certain sizes that we get to do the boulders to make sure that, you know, that five foot three girl can do this if she's smart. Like it might not be easy, you know, um, or that sometimes on the flip side, if the movement is really scrunchy, that that six foot three guy can create an idea around it that will work for him. That's not necessarily the intended way of doing it. So, so we definitely get some of the, you know, six foot two guy telling five foot one girl how to do it. And she does not always like that. And so she shouldn't. Um, And so we are trying to work on some educational pieces around how to give advice in climate called beta, how to give beta. Um, And so beta should be given in a non-prescriptive way. And so that could be like, Hey, that was an amazing try. Um, there's you know, a few other options to how to do that. Would you, would you like me to tell you what those are? And so the answer is either like, yes, I want your advice or your idea or no, I'm fine just doing my own thing. And if the answer is no, move along. If the answer is yes, engage, you know? And so I think that that's something that we can do better. Um, and I'd like to work on that. Um, I don't know exactly how, but just by my own example to start with, right? Right. That That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, oh, and I wanted to ask you as well, how do you accurately, ch- how do you choose like um, this is V0 or this is, this is V3 and accurately know like this is actually what the difficulty is? So we use a system called consensus grading. Okay. So consensus grading is when a setting crew all has to try the boulder or do the boulder and with achieve consensus amongst the crew. And what I love about when I have crews is I really focus on diversity in the crew. I really try to have different shapes, sizes, sexes, backgrounds, experience. Um, and so if everyone in that crew can say it's probably V3, probably V3. Um, we definitely aren't always successful with that. And it's something that everyone needs to take with a grain of salt. And a grade is not set in stone ever, and it should always be taken with a grade of salt. But in general, this is how we do it. This is our methodology, but we know it's not perfect. And I don't think it needs to be perfect. Mm, That makes sense. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, I wanted to kind of get into uh, the pandemic. So how is this? (laughs) How is how is this whole thing affected your business? Well, we, we closed up shop a month and a half ago. So we closed on, um, March, Monday, March. Let me just check here. What was that? 
that would be like March 16th, we closed. Yeah, March 16th, we closed. So we're a month and a half in. Um, and, you know, a lot of the pandemic thing, you know, you see in the States, it's quite political. I've been pretty proud that Canada has been a little bit apolitical about it. I think I'm not necessarily a political person. I'm not pro-JT. I'm not anti-JT. But I will say that I feel like his approach to supporting small businesses during this time has been satisfactory. I don't know if it's going to work out in the long run or what, you know, if it's going to be a big tax bill for my kids to pay or, you know, whatever it is. I think there's a whole crazy, insane amount of questions around it. But I don't feel hard done by as a small business. I feel that we had to do the clothes thing. Uh, I do feel that maybe we're getting close to some sort of reopening, maybe. Um, and I do understand that JT can't keep paying me forever, you know, um, and that's not, that's not feasible either. But, um, you know, there's a whole, I mean, we could dive deep, deep into this because, I mean, this is like super current and super interesting for small businesses. Um, and uh, I think that uh, there's a lot to, to learn from it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of unknowns as well, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I haven't spoken to too many people in the small business side about how they've been able to kind of handle this, what it's been like on their day to day kind of situation. So like if you want to, yeah, if you want to dive into it a little deeper, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Yeah, I think I think it'd be a good idea. I think it'd be interesting to, to have a little bit of a record of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that uh, so. For the most part like information has been hard to come by as far as what support you're going to get, how you're going to get that support. But there was an, an initial $40,000 that was, was put up as a loan that small businesses could get. And the idea was you didn't have to pay it back for X amount of years. And if you did pay it back by X amount of time, you were actually able to have, you know, 10,000 forgiven of that. So you could potentially like take the $40,000 loan, uh, use it at will, but if you were able to pay it off, I think it's by like 2021 or whatever, uh, you were able to pay it off by that time interest-free, um, you were able to actually be forgiven 10K, which is, you know, for some businesses, that's amazing. Um, one of the things that was interesting about that was, I told you before, I have a second one. Yes. Uh, so my other gym actually is on the island and um it's it's not a nice climbing because i've got a 50 50 partner in it uh, it's got a different name but it didn't qualify for that first 40k and so in my opinion it was like it is still like the most vulnerable of businesses any business that's that's brand freaking new has just spent a boat ton of money um and is like burdened with insane debt and they can't qualify for the, the basic first pass sort of here's some help kind of handout thing. And the reason why I couldn't qualify is we had opened in October. Qualification sort of like criteria was we needed to have $50,000 worth of payroll in that fiscal year of 2019. Um, we opened in October. Fiscal of the year ended, you know, December 31st. And myself and my partner had taken zero money. We hadn't paid ourselves for for the months and months and months and months and months of work we put into getting this thing off the ground, our own money we put in. So we had actually had $32,000 of payroll by that time. So we didn't qualify. 
Um, and we obviously don't have crazy amounts of money in the bank at that business. So we were looking at ways which like his business and my other business could help support WIP. We, uh, we reached out to bankers and, and uh, other people to try to lobby for us with the government to see if there was a way that we could get help. Um, and then it was probably two or three weeks later that, that uh, they changed a criteria for the 40K. And now the other business does qualify for the 40K. So we applied for that. We got that. Uh, and so um, we've kept some staff on at, at our business there and our business here. We feel it's important that they, I mean, there's four people to your business that you can't see a future without, and you can never let those people go. Um, you might have to reduce their hours that they work, but but they're the the lifeblood of what you do. So so we've kept them on, um, and we've done our best to negotiate with landlords. Like that's a big thing. Is like I, I don't know if you rent or own, but but that whole side of it for commercial businesses is a huge part of your expenses. So um, you pay you know your rent and then your triple net and all that stuff, and that's huge. So negotiating with landlords has been tough. Um, but we've been successful in negotiating deferments and reducements in both cases. So at mine here, there's a, a particular, I can't disclose what it is, but we've got a, a discount and then it, and then a deferment time for when that discount needs to be paid back. So it's not like it's forgiven, um, which is unfortunate because you're still going to have to pay that. You know what I mean? It's still going to have to come out of the bottom line at some point in time. Oh, of course, um, which is gonna, which is going to be difficult, to be honest. Um, yeah. But uh, but we uh, we are you know ha- grateful for the the at least the commitment that we've had with our our landlords right now. So that's that's been great. I, I have to say that you know any sort of success there is is greatly appreciated. Yeah, of course. And uh, would you say that the process in getting help for your businesses has been pretty straightforward? Yeah. I would say like considering what the government has to do for everybody involved in this, like it's insane what they got to do. Um, and yeah, like I'm sure you have many people like I have spent considerable amount of times on hold with CRA. Um, and that's kind of part of my life right now. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and just getting, getting through that, but I do have the time to do it. Yeah. And, and, um, and I can't complain. I'm not someone who's, uh, who's going to complain about things that are just like, it, it is, I mean, it sucks that that's the way it is, but what can you expect when that many people need to call CRA? Oh, of course. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Um, do you think that there are other ways that uh, Canada could have handled this a little better or do you think they're pretty much on the mark with this? I think that question it can't be intelligently answered by me right now. I don't Fair. think that we know enough. I don't think I know enough. I mean, some days I'm like, we should be all open. And some days I'm like, we should be all close. Like, yeah. you know, I, I go back and forth and, and like, I guess I do get news sources from the U S and, um, and you know, I do try to look at both sides, but it's so hard to, to get straight goods when it's so politicized. Like it's like the pandemic is a political thing where, you know, the left wants one thing and the right wants something else. And the left says one thing and the right says something else. And it's like, we should just get straight facts. And I don't think we get them right now. And, and that's a really unfortunate thing that we can't trust your general news sources to get good facts. Yeah. What a strange world we live in where we can't get objective truth in a straightforward way. You know, it's 
sad. It's sad. And it, it makes people like me who are looking for outlooks and plans and what I can plan for, what, what's going to happen in the future. Should I get planning for opening? Should I get planning for being closed till 2020 or 2021? Like, like all those things I need to, to know as soon as possible so I can plan, fiscally plan, plan for staff, you know, plan for all the stuff. Um, and I feel that it gets, some of that stuff just gets muddled in, in political opinions and, and goals that are, are attributed to, to what political entity you kind of are assigning yourself to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which kind of in a, in a way demonstrates like where, uh, say the media's real interest is, you know, not so much in the, in the, in the, in the population, but in a way to like the money makers, like uh, politicians and things like that, you know, hundred um, percent. And the people yeah. that just want to make as much money and get as many views and clicks as possible. Clicks, man, yeah. clicks are huge. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, and and I, I you know, I, I think that there's a, there's a better way to do it, and I don't think we're necessarily getting it right now. Yeah, I uh, I'm a little kind of worried about the whole reopening thing. Like I get it, you know, I totally, totally get it. I, I remember just reading an article uh, from India stating about how when a lot of businesses opened up there, they had a second resurgence of the COVID virus. So I'm just kind of like, well, you know, we're all trying to avoid that. We don't want that to happen. I know. And you know what, when you do, let's say, let's say July 1st, when or whenever they decide that maybe there's businesses that can start opening again, or people can start relaxing. It does make sense to me that you're going to have some uptick. I think that's, that is only, so you either have to choose, we're going to, it seems to me, I don't know. I I don't want to be binary about it, but it seems to me like maybe it's like you're, you're closed till a vaccine and that's the road you're going down or you're going down the road that there's going to be cases and you're, you're doing what you can to mitigate it, but you're accepting that there's going to be cases. And when there's cases, there's deaths. And so it's like, are you accepting some deaths, some amount of deaths, or are you accepting fully closing down to the vaccine? But, you know, when could the vaccine be ready? And when, you know, what is, what is, how long does it take to like, cause I don't want to take a vaccine that's been rush jobbed. Yeah. You know, how course. long does that take? You know, and I'm sure you're the same way. We want the, the due process to be done for it to be a very safe vaccine. And I'm hundred percent behind that. Um, and can we necessarily wait that long? You know, it's hard to Tough say questions, man. brother. You know, and I, <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, what, what even can JT do? Like, can he actually bankroll the country for a year or two? You know, is that even something that can get discussed? Cause is that a possibility? I don't know this. Like, I don't know enough about how the treasury works. Yeah. Same. You know, um, there's only so long that he can, um, incentivize to incentivize us to stay calm by handing us all money until it all runs out. And we're, and he's like, well, sorry, I don't have anything else. And then landlords are still like, we need to get paid. And you know, banks are still saying they need to get paid. You know what I mean? They have no choices. Landlords got to pay banks and banks got to pay investors. And so the buck stops the government, the government said like, Nobody, I don't, I, I don't even know, man. It's, it's, like, <laughs> it's such a crazy like rabbit hole, you know, and I don't think I know enough about it to, to give you intelligent answers. Yeah, I mean, either I am not, I am not the kind of person that has the insight to give anybody answers. I'm just trying to figure it out, man. I know. 
I know. And so I've actually been on a few task force for uh, sport and um, uh, climbing and climbing industries and all this stuff. Um, so being part of like some of these kind of high level Zoom meetings, it's been really interesting um, and seeing what what sort of ideas are are come down the pipe, what we should be doing, what we should be thinking about. And so there's a bit of like insight I've had into the possibility of this or that um, from these meetings. Um, so it's been really kind of like eye opening over the last few few weeks anyway. Um, of course. Yeah. Of course. I, uh, in a way, I wish I could just kind of be like a fly on the wall and see what uh, you guys are talking about so I could get some knowledge in some places that I don't have. That'd be, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure, I'm sure whatever conclusions you guys come up to, the best solutions, we'll see them on your uh, social media pages. I think, yeah, I think like, let's say we get to a point where we're like, okay, ready to open and the, the, the BC government is saying, you know, you guys are ready to open. I think we would definitely, I think like one of the things I'd love to do is have a Q&A with members and um, some sort of online forum or a Zoom forum or some sort of thing where we can have a Q&A. And so maybe it's like a week before we open where we would, we would maybe have some sort of a platform where people can ask questions that are, because I think there's certain people that would come back to the gym if they thought there was X amount of measures in place. And there's other people that, that you know, want to know what those measures are so they can make their own judgments, whether they want to come back and, and how they want to come back and find comfort in the measures that we would potentially take. And so I think this Q&A could be a really interesting thing. Um, and then maybe like open for a week and then have another Q&A to reassess and find out how people thought about that first week. Did they come back? What was their experience like? What would they like to see different? What would make them more comfortable? Or was it too strict? And, and would, do they want to see it like a little more uh, casual or something like that? Because um, even here, you look at different businesses and they're doing totally different things. Like, you know, uh, it seems to be that there's a bit of a mixed bag out there. I know. What have you experienced? Have you been doing some shopping and stuff like that? What have you seen out there? Yeah, my shopping, I mostly keep to just, uh, if I really need something, I'll go to Superstore or Costco to buy things. I think Costco has been handling it quite well. Um, Superstore has come across as a little kind of confusing to me, uh, just okay. a little more hectic. And then yeah. aside from that, man, I haven't been doing any other shopping aside from like, if I need things, I'll get them from the internet if they're not groceries. And that's yeah. about it. You know, I, I do like some of those stores that really facilitate like Home Depot where you could buy something at, and then get the quick in-store pickup. Yep. I think that's pretty, a pretty cool and easy way. Like I know I needed some stuff when I was doing a bit of, you know, fixing at the gym once people were gone and I was doing a little bit of renovations and I needed some, some equipment and some supplies. And I just like did the online thing and then called when I got there and they brought it out. I was like, this is dope. That's like sweet. <laughs> I'm not waiting in line and I'm not like, you know, like I see people at, like, I, I, I'm not going to, um, to Costco because that line is just like, I drive by it sometimes. I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. So you've weathered the line a few times. How fast does it go? Uh, it's actually not that bad. I mean, the thing is I'm usually, I usually have my headphones in and I'll just yeah. like, uh, have a podcast or something going or music. Oh. So I'm just kind of like, just enjoying myself. You know, I keep my distance from everybody. Um, yeah. So yeah. What's your favorite, what's your favorite podcast? Favorite podcast. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, oh man, the one 
Dissect. Dissect is my favorite podcast. Um, I'll check them out. Yeah, it's basically if uh, if you're a really big music fan, it's it's what I really like about. It. I, mean, I I love music, man. Um, I can see by all the gear in the background. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my one of my favorite records of all time is uh, by Kendrick Lamar. It's called "To Pimp a Butterfly." Um, uh, and uh, and he basically goes in track by track and ex- and breaks down exactly how that song was made and what it means. And that oh. album is a very deep concept album. And there's like a really strong theme woven in between all of it. And so you just kind of go into what it is, and uh, it just it just expands the album as a, as an experience so much greater. And he does that with Frank Ocean's Blonde, his album Channel Orange does. Um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy by Kanye West. And he's currently on lemonade by Beyonce. And it's, it's my favorite thing ever. I'm such a geek for that sort of thing, man. That's cool. <laughs> so that's Love my that. favorite one. Yeah. Uh, I definitely going to check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, man. What kind of music are you into? Uh, I listen to a lot of hip hop. Um, yeah. uh, you know, like the more like the older school stuff, like, uh, you know, you I grew up like listening to like, you know, the, the old Jay-Z and, and Tupac and Biggie and stuff like that. So I, I'm I, like, that's my general, a little bit my generation, but I also like listen to a lot of like, uh, you know, indie rock from my time as well, you know, so. Cool. What yeah. kind of indie rock bands do you like? Uh, they're all like from, you know, back in the day, some of the Brit pop stuff, like your Blurs. And Oasis. Your Super, yeah, Super Furry Animals. Yeah, some Oasis. I was a little bit more on the mainstream side, but I still got respect, you know. Sure, but so, sure. so, you know, there's definitely some of my high school favorites in there, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, when I was in high school, man, everybody was listening to things like 303 and like LMFAO and I didn't care for that. I, I love Nirvana, man. Nirvana was awesome. (laughs) Nirvana was so cool. Uh, I I think like your generation never got a chance to really dig into, to punk rock either. Um, and so I think there's a whole group of people that never listened to punk rock. And so I think that's something that, that is maybe you know, my generation got to do quite a bit of, um, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I see you got something to say. Well, when you say punk rock, let me tell you something. I've met Henry Rollins three times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so punk rock, man, like I know black flag, I know yeah. like sex pistols, but I, I actually grew up with my brother listening to a lot of hardcore music. We used to go to hardcore oh, yeah. shows all the Sick. time. So That's awesome. Yeah, Yo, man. So, love that. um, if there's a hardcore band that I could recommend, check out Gulch. Gulch? Yeah, Gulch. Right. Listen All to right, them. Those right. guys are like insane. I love their I love their instrumentation and their and their voices. But like I totally get what you're saying though. A lot of people right now that are in the hip hop sphere, um, a lot of them are really open minded with music, but a lot of them don't know what punk rock is. And you're totally no. right about that. What what yeah. are your favorite punk bands, man? Well, I I mean you know, face to face was a big one as a kid. Uh, you know, the no effects, bad religion, yeah. all that sort of stuff was like, man, we, you know, that was, that was our lifeblood at the time. And I think there's a, a little bit of like those guys, th- that genre has been maybe underappreciated right now. And I've actually been thinking about like, and this is just me spitballing, but you know, back in the day when nice climbing was open, I was like, we need to do a punk rock Tuesday. So all day on Tuesday, it's just punk rock. So you can get these kids some exposure to maybe some, like a a whole genre of music that they almost don't even know exists. Like maybe they know about, you know, 
Green Day or something like that. But, you know, there's, it goes so deep, you know yeah. what I mean? And it goes back to the old school, like with Sex Pistols and all that stuff. Like there's a whole, yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's a special genre of music and it, you know, I've been missing it a bit. Yeah, man. Punk rock is such a special genre of music, man. It's just so ferocious. It's yeah. like primal. It just makes yeah. you feel a way that you just don't get from like melodies and pop music, dude. It's sick. And I just think that its influence is almost hard to find in today's mainstream. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I feel like I need to almost like be a voice for it and, and try to give it some, some life again. I'm so in. I, I <laughs> I'm so in. Maybe I'll come in on Tuesdays specifically for that. Maybe maybe when I get this punk rock Tuesdays going, uh, I want to see your face in there, man. Hell yeah! Of course I'm going to be in there when it reopens. Of course. And if you ever want to find new music, man, uh, I my brother is like an encyclopedia when it comes to like current day punk music. He's in a cool. punk band called Juice. Juice, um, oh, sick! I gotta write that down too. All right. Yeah, and so he 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 like tours down in the uh, town in like um like tacoma california like that sort of stuff hey, he's cool. like friends with some of the guys from gulch actually and yeah. like man it's awesome oh what and one last thing i wanted to recommend um there's this youtuber named hate five six Okay. Yeah. So, so hate five six. He shows all the most amazing hardcore bands. He just documents them at all these different shows and festivals and stuff, man. If cool. you're wanting to like get into punk music, like current hardcore punk music, amazing resource, man. All right. That's yeah. good. That's good. That's golden. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sick. I feel like some of that stuff may be a little intense for like a climbing gym, but for your own personal listening, man, I would love to. I would love to like expose you to that too. Cool. I'm down for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I usually at the, near the end of the episode, I usually ask people like, do you have any more questions for me? But you've been asking me questions actually kind of throughout actually. So um, did you have any final ones for me at all? I do want to, I do want to know a little bit about like what your goals are and what, what the whole like um, background for, um, you know, your platform is. Oh yeah. Cool question, man. Um, so I kind of started it as a couple of years ago. Um, I used to be in a band called Glow BC and I thought it'd be so cool if I could just kind of network with other artists and business people of all sorts. I've always found that uh, creativity, artistry and, and businesses have always been like two sides of the same coin to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I've always, so I wanted to kind of like, uh, I wanted to kind of create that platform for me to be able to meet people and expose people to other uh, business people or creatives that are doing cool things. And so that's kind of where it came from. And uh, I found it to be just so empowering. I love doing it. It's uh, it's so much fun to talk to people. Even though I'm naturally kind of an introverted person, I actually still, I used to get in trouble for talking too much in class and distracting everybody. But yeah. <laughs> so I got it. I kind of get to exercise my social need and then I get to just like work on the aesthetics of the whole brand and just kind of build it up and build it up. It, it's so flattering to me to see like my analytics and see that people are listening to the whole podcast or whatever. It's yeah. awesome. It's so much fun. I eventually want to turn it into like a legitimate brand, um, have it go into the future, have like a really solid YouTube channel where people can like reliably go on to and see new content, different kinds of content. I want, I want people to, um, 
be like, yeah, you know, Canada has some like really cool people running this in this country. You know, I want to eventually like show people like cool things about Canada that aren't necessarily related to business. Like, I'm not going to say what the ideas are now, but I have, <laughs> I have ideas. I have Spoiler ideas. Alert. <laughs> so I just want to build it into this like real platform and an actual business that I can like sell merchandise and um, mm. sell services potentially as well. So lots of different things. I do like the brand experience. I think you've done a really good job with that. I think it looks super dope. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you. My girlfriend helped me um, kind of come up with it. I would come up with like an idea and I'd show it to her and she'd be like, that sucks. And I'd have to go back <laughs> to the drawing board. <laughs> but I love that honesty about her. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I just kind of, I've been just kind of doing that, man. That's awesome. Super cool. Super, yeah. super, super happy to be part of it, man. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you a part of this, man. This was a very fun and productive conversation. And I think a lot of people would genuinely be interested to listen to. You I know? hope so. I hope so. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any final words? No, man. I'm good. Yeah. Do uh, you want to plug your like website and your social media and so on? Sure. Yeah. We're, uh, the website is niceclimbing.com, spelled G-N-E-I-S-S, uh, climbing.com. Uh, we are currently doing online sales as a way to kind of like, you know, create some monetary existence for the climbing gym. So there's a little shop side on there. Um, and I think it'd be cool to see some local people support that. Um, Instagram is at nice underscore climbing and, um, yeah, look for some interesting stuff coming, coming in the, in the, in the short term. I've, I've done a little movie with a local filmmaker, um, just experience, like kind of like going through my current experience in the pandemic and what it's a little bit like to be at nice climbing during the pandemic. Oh, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that, man. Yeah. I think it'll be, I haven't seen like everything coming out about it, but I think the dude does super sick work. His name's Clayton Arnell and I'm excited for, uh, for his film. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm sure we all are. That's sick. Cool. Uh, you got any time frame of like, uh, I guess it depends on when the pandemic ends. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a part of the show, man. I appreciate your time. I, I greatly, greatly value your time. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to the listeners for being a part of the show as well. Without it, without you being here, this show would not exist. So thank you so much. Um, Make sure that you follow us at For the Culture Canada on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, also subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, and make sure that you uh, give us some ratings as well. Uh, if you like the show, if you didn't like the show, please let us know. Ask, let us know how we can improve. And I'm your host, Deepak Body. Have a good rest of your day, y'all. See ya.